Good morning to everybody. I sound a little bit hot there. What a beautiful, beautiful day. Amen. The Lord has really given us a respite from the heat. Uh, just being able to go outside and uh, actually to enjoy. This is August in East Texas, but it feels so good, so good. And thank the Lord for a brief respite. I know we've got some more hot, humid days ahead of us, but um, it's been nice for a couple of days to be able to uh, actually sit outside and to actually enjoy it. Um, I thank Richie for the opportunity and the elders this morning. I'm going to preach uh, today and also next week about our small groups. Um, it's that time of year again. We want to kick off in uh, September. Uh, we've got a couple of new small groups that are forming, and I need more folks to step up and to become new small group leaders. Not replacing other ones, but adding two. Because our body is growing, we're adding members uh, almost every week. So um, be thinking about it and praying about it. I've already talked to some of you, and you said yes, and I'm going to hopefully be talking to others of you. And uh, I want you to pray about it and then uh, say yes uh, to becoming small group uh, leaders, hosting uh, that in your, in your home. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that um, next week, some of the practical things uh, about our small groups and what we're going to start uh, in September. And Richie's also going to be bringing, I think, a special lesson about that later on in the month of September. But just, just to prime the pump for that, but I want to share some thoughts with you today. Uh, and I couldn't have really orchestrated this uh, any better. It's amazing uh, when you begin to uh, ask the Lord to, to lead you and to guide you and to, and to listen to his spirit. It's amazing when you're looking for it, what, what it is that you find. And, and Paul was sharing that uh, in his prayer thoughts this morning. Um, that you got when you, you find Jesus when you're looking for him. And you, you hear the Spirit when you're asking God to be led by the Spirit. And so it was, it was just really interesting that, that Paul shared some thoughts about being in the family. Because that's what I want to talk about today, about what it is to be family and be uh, connected. And yesterday morning, uh, we were sitting there and uh, eating breakfast and uh, drinking coffee and looking out like I do on, on Saturday mornings and reading the paper. And just kind of got through reading the paper and, and Paula said, Ronnie, you've got you to see this. And she had turned on the computer, getting ready to do some work, and, and it was a clip of um, James Taylor singing a concert in South Carolina, uh, and in, in Charleston, South Carolina, where that uh, horrific shooting had taken place. This was the night before last, I guess. So she pulls it up, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, James Taylor probably growing up in the Carolinas uh, as a teenager was probably, uh, you know, uh, busking on the street corners uh, for, for tips and for change, and here he is singing in South Carolina in front of thousands and thousands of people. And he had a local chorus from Charleston, I think called the Low Voice Choir. And they were singing a, a song that he'd written years ago called Shed a Little Light. Anybody familiar with that song? Anybody a James Taylor fan besides me? Yeah. Um, he goes way back, but his music is, is really iconic. And this song says, Let us turn our thoughts today to Martin Luther King. And recognize that there are ties between us, all men and women living on the earth. Ties of hope and love, of sister and brotherhood. And I thought, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Sisterhood and brotherhood and how we're all tied together. And it was really cool to see these uh, young and old, black and white, Hispanic, all standing on the stage behind James Taylor singing this song. They're in a city where... 
um, evil had tried to conquer, but by the grace of God and by his love and by his mercy and, and the act of forgiveness, it's actually brought people together in a very powerful, powerful way. I want to talk to us about small groups this morning and why they're so important. And I want us to look at a passage um, from Romans chapter 12. But first, let's uh, start out here at the end of chapter 11. Throw that up there, Jerry, if you will. You turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 12. We're going to spend our time here. Paul has uh, been writing to the church in, in, in Rome. He has never been to Rome at this time. He did not establish this church. So a lot of what he says, is it's really, he goes into great detail and length about explaining some things. It's like a huge uh, treatise, if you will, on uh, his theological viewpoint. Uh, he's not talking to people that he knows, so it's like he's really got to share a lot of things to try to get his point across. And he's come out of chapters 9 and 10 and 11. He's talking about Israel. Who is the true Israel? It's not just about being born. It's not just about heritage. It's not just about being a physical child of Abraham, but it's always been about faith. And he talks about the remnant that Isaiah talks about. And that remnant are those who Believe. It's not just a matter that you are a Jew physically, but you have to have faith in God and faith in Jesus as Messiah. And now that the gospel is, has been opened for Gentiles as well, he talks about the Gentiles being grafted in as like a wild olive branch that's now grafted into this original uh, root. And now it receives life from that root. And here at the end of chapters 9 and 10 and 11 in this great discourse, that all of Israel will be saved because he's now explained to us exactly who Israel is, the faithful, those that believe, those that have trusted in Jesus as Messiah. And he says all of Israel will be saved. And then at the end of chapter 11, it's like he just busts out in some sort of spontaneous praise. It's like he just, he just can't help it. It's just built up inside of him, and he's got to let it out. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it, maybe it happens here in worship, or maybe it's just... Uh, you woke up this morning and you went outside and it was cool and you just, if something comes over you and you just have to just take a moment and say, oh God, thank you. Thank you for your creation. Uh, thank you for the coolness of today. Uh, we went and uh, saw a park that's right behind the Maud Cobb Center. Uh, you guys know that there's a park that exists back there that was built, I think, for the blind. Uh, my, my wife is now taking classes to become a teacher for the visually impaired, so we've been heightened to some of these things, and we went a couple of weeks ago, and it was hotter than a $2 pistol. I mean, it was, it was hot, and we were out there, and there were these wind chimes, and we were sitting there, and this, um, this hummingbird started flying around some of the flowers, and, and Paula said, look, look, there's a hummingbird, and I looked behind me, and there he was just darting in and out, you know, those flowers getting this nectar, and I just thought, how cool, how awesome is God? That he makes this little bird that flies around with, you know, you can barely see his wings flapping. And sometimes you just have to just stop and just bust out in praise. And that's kind of what Paul has done here at the end of chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God is just unbelievably awesome. He says, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? What, what could we give to God? I mean, this, this really removes all thought that, that, that there's something that we could do 
that God would owe us something, that somehow we could do enough righteous works, enough good deeds that God would owe us salvation. I mean, there's nothing that we could give to God that God should repay us. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's as if Paul's heart is just so full and it's, it's just his cup is running over and he just has to shout this out. So then he goes on to say this, therefore, my old preaching buddy in Oklahoma used to say, anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you need to stop and see what it's there for. Okay. We've just come off of this, this wonderful praise, this, um, acknowledging how awesome and, and powerful and wonderful and mighty and majestic is our God. And then he says, therefore, because of that, in view of God's mercy, Brothers and sisters, he says, in view of God's mercy, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship or this is your uh, proper worship to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, what is a sacrifice for? What happens to a sacrifice? It dies, does it not? A sacrifice has to die. And so God, so Paul is asking us to become a living dead thing, a living sacrifice on the altar. Why? Because God is so awesome and holy and God has given us everything. This mercy that he's poured out into our hearts and into our lives. In view of that, how should you live? Live as a, a living sacrifice. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the pattern of this world? Think about just our country. Just think about the Western culture here in the United States that we live in. What's the pattern of our world? We get up, we go to work, we go through the motions in order to make money so that we can buy houses and cars and clothing and things. We have people, you know, chasing fame. How many likes do you have on your Facebook? How many hits on, on your YouTube video? I mean, it's all about that kind of stuff, isn't it? And we get so caught up in that. And it takes our view and our, and our, and our mindset off of Christ. He says, don't be, tra- don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. We talked about this in the men's class briefly uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, we were in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Talking about the putting off of the old self and putting on the new self. And it talked about the renewing of our minds. And I was reminded of uh, back when I was a freshman at Lipscomb uh, there in Nashville. Um, it was my freshman year and it was this other guy's sophomore year. The second semester we were there, he transferred in from Tennessee Tech University. It's east of Nashville, about, about an hour. It's a state school there. And he got there, and he lived a couple of doors down from me in, in the dorm, and uh, we kind of struck up a friendship, and um, he said he had transferred in. And the reason that he had transferred in was because um, his parents yanked him out of, of Tennessee Tech and put him at Lipscomb because he spent all of his time on the weekends partying and drinking and smoking dope and, and doing that sort of thing, so his grade level had gone his grade point average had bottomed out. So his parents said, we're going to take him out of, of this school and we're going to put him in this Christian school. And it's going to turn him around. And you know what he did on the weekends while he was at Lipscomb? 
That's Joel was laughing. He drank and he partied and he smoked weed. Because you know what? There were some guys and girls that did that even on a Christian campus. Just a physical removal from one place to the next didn't do anything for him. You know why? Because there was no change of mind. There was no change of heart. He had not renewed his mind. He had just changed locations. So we've got to do something with the, the renewing of our minds. When, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it gives us a new appetite, new desires. It's a changing of our minds so that when we do get away from these influences, there's uh, bad influences, there are going to be good things that are going to happen. But you can't just expect, well, my kid's having a hard time in this school. I'm just going to take him out and put him in this school. If there's no change of mind or heart, there's going to be trouble at the next place. Then, once you've done that, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He goes on to say, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed or measured out to each of you. I think he's talking about maybe here because of all the stuff he's been talking about, about the, but, uh, Israel, the Jews and the Gentiles. None of you should think more highly of yourself than you ought to. If you're a Jew, you're not any better than the Gentiles coming in. Think of yourself with sober judgment so that you have a, a, a right view of yourself. Now, this is where I want us to get to this morning in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. So what Brian read to us from Corinthians, you remember the passage in Corinthians, Paul went to great length to talk about we're one body, but we have different parts. The eye can't say to the ear, hey, because I'm not an ear, I'm not a part of the body. Or the foot say to the hand, because I'm not a foot or a hand, I'm not a part of the body. No, you don't cease to be a part of the body because you don't do this or you don't do that. You have your function in the body. So we as the body of Christ, we, we realize in our physical bodies that our physical body is made up of a lot of different parts, right? And we're thankful for that. My arms reach out for something. My fingers help me pick it up, bring it back into my, you know, to myself. And if I'm eating, that's a good thing. Do like this. You know, uh, my feet take me places. I mean, the stuff that's on the inside, we don't pay much attention to until something goes wrong with it. And now all of a sudden we realize how important those inside things are. Our bodies are made up of a lot of parts, but we're just one body. So then he says, we go from that so that now in Christ, though we are many, many different bodies individually in here, we make up one body. All of us, some four or five hundred people, we make up one body here at Pine Tree. And then the beauty of that is when you think about we're just one part of the greater body of Christ that's meeting all over the world today. Believers in Jesus. There's hardly a Sunday morning goes by that I don't think about our brothers and our sisters in, in Honduras or, or in Ghana. Some of those uh, brothers and sisters that I have worshipped with under those trees and in those little thatch roof, you know, buildings we're just part of that greater body of Christ. But notice what he says. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Each member 
of Christ's body belongs to all the others. Now, what does that mean? How would that look? How does that play out in everyday life? I belong to you. You belong to me. When you bought your last car, did you ask my permission? Did you ask what color you should get? When I went out to eat, did I ask you where you thought I should go eat? No. We're so individualized that we don't even, those thoughts don't even cross our mind. What does that mean? We belong to each other. Each member belongs to all the others. You know, sometimes when I'm reading a text, I, I like to ask other people what, what they think about something because sometimes you get tunnel vision and, and maybe you're thinking is skewed in some way, so you kind of want a different perspective. So I found a couple of ladies here that live locally here in the Longview area, and, and, I, was, and I was talking to them. I won't mention, uh, mention their names to you, um, but they work in the office here at Pine Tree. Um, but I, I won't mention any names to you. Um, but Lori and Patty were sitting there, and I came in. I said, you know, husbands and wives were married. Do, do you think... Do you think you belong to each other? I mean, don't husbands and wives uh, belong to each other? And um, it, it was kind of interesting, the, the, the feedback. They said, well, what, what do you mean belong? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, husbands and wives are, you know, they, they, they leave their parents. They become one flesh. They belong to each other. Well, what, do you mean that he owns me? <laughs> and they started kind of doing that neck thing, you know, and some snap, you know, and I, I was like, wait a minute, what are you, I'm just, I'm asking a question here. Do you think you belong to each other? Well, if you say, if you're saying that he owns me and you know, that's not the way it is. And I'm like, Hey, I understand that, you know? And it, and I kind of thought to myself, I went back to my office and I thought, we, we don't like that thought of belonging to somebody. If it means that they've got some sort of control over us, do they? And that's not at all what I think this text is talking about. But we, we each belong to each other. So I, I did a little search. What does it mean to belong? Said it was the, the word belong is a verb. And it, when you're talking about a thing, it's to be rightly placed in a specified position. I might say around my house, your shoes belong in the closet. As well as your clothes and your toys and all of that stuff. It doesn't belong in the kitchen. It doesn't belong in the living room. It belongs in a specified place. There's a place that your mother and I have specified for those things, and that's where I would like for them to go. Okay? That's what, referring to a, uh, a thing or a person fit in a specified place or environment. We might say he belongs to the Kiwanis Club or she belongs to the Garden Club. That's that's where she belongs. That's her place. It's a specified place, a place that she belongs, people that she belongs to. Our text says that each member belongs to all the others. How would that play out in life? I went on to read and it said to belong means to fit in, to be suited to, to have a rightful place. And then it said this, to have a home. And boy, that really, really resonated with me. When you belong someplace, it's like that's where you fit in. That's where you're suited. That's where you have a home where people love you, 
where people know you and they still love you. We have some dear friends who live down in Kilgore and they have two sons. And one of their sons is a biological son and one is adopted and they say that most of the time they can't remember which one's which. Um, And I think that's beautiful. One of their sons, they have two biological sons and then they have adopted a little girl from China and a little boy from China. They've had them about four or five years. The girl they've had about five and the boy they've had about four. Well, a couple of weeks ago, they got back from a trip to China. The Chinese government had invited them, not just them, but there were a number of families who had adopted children from, from orphanages in China uh, a number of years ago. So they invited all of those people to come back uh, to visit, to tour. They set up all of these tours to go to, to the zoo, to pet a panda, to do all of these different things. So they had, had gathered up and saved up and been talking about and made this trip to China. There were nine in their family. There were um, the mom and the dad, the two brothers, the two adopted children, and then three out of four grandparents. So there were nine in that family that, that made the trip to China along with a bunch of other families who had adopted at the same time. So they had been talking for, for weeks and really months um, leading up to this this trip to China. We're going to go back to, to where you're from. We're going to go back to even the orphanage where we got you from. And, uh, and we're going to see all of these sites. If you know anything about the Chinese government, I think it was back in around 1980, they passed a law that, that married couples could only have one child. They could only have one child. And because of that, most families wanted a boy or a girl. What do you think? They wanted a boy to carry on the family name. So many, many little Chinese girls were given away for adoption so that the family could have another child in hopes to have a boy. So if there was a boy that was placed up for adoption, why do you think that would be? Because there's something wrong with him. He's not whole. He's not healthy. Well, that's the reason why they were able to adopt little Liam, because he was deaf. He was born deaf, and his mother just took him at at the age of about nine months, I think, and, and, and left him at the orphanage and said, my baby cannot hear, but he's a good baby. If he gets fussy, take him outside and walk around with him, and he'll be good again. And she just left him there. So they had the privilege of adopting this little boy, And now he's about 10 years old. They got him when he was six. Now he's about 10 years old. So they're making this trip to China. Weeks and weeks have gone into this preparation. They're talking about it. But right before they got ready to leave, little Liam, he has to sign. He tells his daddy, he says, Daddy, I need to ask you something. His daddy said, okay, what is it? He said, I need to know how many are going how many are coming back? And he said, Liam, nine are going and nine are coming back. And he said, that's all he needed to know. Because he knew that he had a home. They weren't going to take him back to Shanghai and leave him there. 
They were just going to go visit, see where he was from. Nine were going to go, and nine were going to come home. And once he knew that, he said he had the best trip because he knew he was coming back home to his family. People that loved him, people that wanted him because they adopted him into their family. He had a place to belong. He knew that he fit in there and that they weren't going to leave him behind. Belongingness. I didn't even know that was a word until I found this slide. Belongingness is the human emotional need to be an accepted member of a group. Whether it's family, friends, co-workers, or a sports team, humans have an inherent desire to belong and be an important part of something greater than themselves. That's why our small groups are so vitally important. I, I don't want to just preach to you this morning about small groups and say, man, yay, rah, rah, let's go, let's get in small groups. Everybody get in small groups so we can have big numbers in small groups. The reason I want you in, in a small group, the reason our shepherds want you in a small group, the reason that Richie talks about small groups is because that's where people get connected. That's where people learn to love one another. I can't know 500 people. I can't open up and share with 500 people and pray with 500 people and talk with 500 people. But five or six or eight or ten in my living room, I can get to know those people. And you know what? I, my, my small group has been busted up this summer because the Wootens go to Colorado every year and, and I got the Haley's that are gone and, and traveling and up in North Carolina. And, and I miss I miss my small group when they're not here, when I don't see their faces. I miss my old small group that, I, that I'm not a part of anymore. Why? Because I got close with them. I prayed with them. We shared thoughts together. And in our small group now, we have gotten to where we pray. There are certain things we pray for, for grown children who are outside of Christ, for siblings who have never obeyed the gospel. And I said, you know what? It's interesting because now that we begin to pray this way, every time I lift up my sister in prayer, I'm also praying for your child and your grandson and your son. And they said, you know what? That's funny because every time we pray for our child, we pray for your sister and for theirs. Because that's what, that's what it means to be family. That's what it means to be tied together. All men and women living on the earth. Ties of hope and love. Sister and brotherhood. Sister Teresa said this. Mother Teresa. She said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Isn't that beautiful? If we have no peace in our lives, it's because we've forgotten we belong to each other. God never meant for us to, to do this thing alone, this, this trip called life, this journey. God never wanted us to, to be lone rangers, to go on it by ourselves. He wanted us to be connected. That's why the body analogy. You're all different parts, but we're all part of one body. And each one of us belongs to the other. That's why small groups are so important. That's why I'm going to talk about it uh, next week and why we're going to just talk about it week in and week out and week in and week out, hopefully till we're sick of talking about it because we want you to be in a small group. That's how our shepherds get to know you. We started this a year ago and our shepherds love it. They love being able to go around and to visit, to rotate around four or five or six different small groups because now they can be in your home. 
and sit with you and eat with a meal with you and to pray with you and to sing with you and to worship and to share and just to laugh and have a good time. Did you guys know that shepherds like to laugh and to have a good time, that they're actually people? They carry such a heavy burden. They really do. Praying for your souls, helping you when, you're, when your marriage is in crisis, when, you, when you've lost your job. There's a heavy burden on our shepherds. And this is a way that brings joy to them, that they get to know you as people. You get to know them as people and their wives. God bless the wives of shepherds. We are bound together, all men and women living on the earth, and even more so in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters bought with the blood of Jesus. If you have never become a child of God, that's, that's step one. That's your next step to become a child of God, to put Jesus on in baptism, to be washed in the blood of Christ. And then we can plug you into a smaller group that you can get to be a part of, to know, to pray with, to rejoice, to share life with. Because life is done better when we do it together as a community of people. If you need to respond, if you need to come for prayers, do that right now. Joe Davis is going to lead us in a song. Let's stand and sing. Without him I could do nothing.